This is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air! Deep to right! It is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Shane Orley. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. Good afternoon. Taking you right up to White Sox baseball today. First pitch, 110 from Houston. It'll be Len and DJ on the call. Lucas Giolito on the mound taking on Jose Urquidy for the Astros. White Sox looking to get back in the win column. They split the first two against Houston. Won the opener, 3-2. to two, Weathered that Jordan Alvarez moonshot in the ninth inning and managed to get the win, a Ronaldo Lopez save in game one. And then last night, despite holding a 3 nothing lead for the majority of the game, uh, not able to hold on to it late uh, as the White Sox Diekman came into the game to relieve things and was not able to get the job done. The White Sox ended up losing last night 6-3, to but four games set, still an opportunity to take the first series of the season. And a lot of positives, really, when you think about the up-and-down nature of the first two games. At least there's been up. Last year, we were begging for a lot of up, and this year it feels like already the fun factor is there. Guys are out there enjoying themselves. They're enjoying playing baseball. They're enjoying playing for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, We saw Dylan Cease answer what was last year a runner-up finish in Cy Young voting in the American League. He was outstanding in his start. Uh, last night, Lance Lynn was fantastic in his start for the White Sox. Went five and two-thirds, only gave up three hits, allowed two runs. Struggled a little bit with the walks. Four walks last night, but still struck out six. Took care of business for the most part. Handed it over to the bullpen. And just unfortunately, Kendall Graveman, Justin Diekman couldn't get the job done. But that's going to happen over the course of 162 games. And like I mentioned, the White Sox today with Giolito looking to start the bounce-back campaign. Going up against Jose Urquidy and a bit of a drop-off in the Houston rotation from the first two. Um, Urquidy not up to the level of par of Christian Javier or Framber Valdez. Uh, so the White Sox have a huge opportunity today to get back in the win column and get things back going well for, for the rest of the series. We'll talk more about what happened in the opener and what happened last night as we go forward today. We'll speak with Jesse Rogers coming up at about 11 i uh, talk about the White Sox so far and what he's looking for the rest of this weekend as this series goes on and the White Sox look to take the first series. But something has stood out to me, and I imagine that it has stood out to you while you're watching White Sox baseball and while you're watching baseball around the league. Uh, and that is the rule changes. This is a very different game. And I don't know if you watched a ton of spring training baseball. I don't know how much spring training baseball you could be expected to watch. So in the past two days, I think... Most of you have had your first real exposure to the pitch clock, to the bigger bases, to the band shift. Uh, You're seeing the number of stolen bases. I mean, 21 steals on opening day on 23 attempts. There were six steals on nine attempts a year ago. So we're seeing that number uh, close to tripling in terms of attempted steals in just a day. It is a different sport than it was a year ago. And that's what stands out to me when I'm watching it. Whether it's watching Dylan Cease pitch and it's the pitch com in his glove. 
so that he has the ability to call his own game, gets the ball, dials up the pitch he wants to throw, gets into his motion, and delivers to home plate. Quick, very snappy, just catch ball, throw ball, constantly action in this baseball game. To me, it's been a thrill to watch. It's and I, I would like to hear from you on this. 312-332-3776. If you're getting ready for White Sox baseball today, if you're out in your car driving around, I'd like to hear from you. When you sit down to watch White Sox baseball, are you loving the pitch clock as much as I am? Do you worry a little bit when you go to the game? It's going to be such a different experience as an in-stadium spectator. You're not going to be able to enjoy it as much as you do on TV. Because I will admit, this feels like a television-oriented rule change, which is good. To me, that's where the sport grows. A lot of kids aren't going to games anymore. The number of people who are able to go to games has dropped year over year. You see attendance fall year over year, especially year-round. Now people are in school, but you get home, and you don't have to keep your kid up until 11 o'clock anymore to watch a White Sox game on a weeknight because the game's going to be two and a half to two hours and 45 minutes. You're going to be able to put your kid to bed on time. You're going to be able to watch this game with your family and not have to upheave your schedule and change the way you approach things. You're not going to have to worry about committing four hours of your evening to watching a baseball game that starts at seven o'clock. I think that's huge for the game. And I, I get that people are worried when you go to a game and now you get up to get a refreshment or to uh, go to the bathroom, things that you have to do. Maybe you miss more than you're used to. Maybe it reminds you a little more of going to an NFL game and you walk up to the concessions at halftime and you don't get back to your seat until the third quarter's half over. Well, now it's similar in baseball. You get up to get a beer and maybe you don't get back to your seat until two half innings are gone. You miss an entire inning or an inning and a half of action because you're up waiting in line, you're trying to get food, you're trying to get drinks, you're trying to take care of things you got to take care of at a ball game, and you are missing out on action because it's moving too quickly. I understand that side being a detractor. Personally, I don't care. For me, when I go to the game, that's, that's not why I'm there. I'm there to watch baseball. And I think that ultimately the pitch clock – and making sure action is constantly happening. I saw broadcasters, uh, guys who do play-by-play, talk about this as well. And there was one uh, take that I saw that I found really interesting. And it was, I believe the play-by-play announcer, his name escapes me at the moment, of the New York Mets, mentioned that he feels more like he's doing a hockey game than he's doing a baseball game. He doesn't have the opportunity to let a moment breathe as much as he's used to having when he's calling uh, baseball. He's had to adjust a little bit. Things happen quicker. He's got to get his thoughts in. And he's got to get in and out of, of conversations because the next pitch is being thrown. But again, when you think about the sports that are so popular, when you think about the sports that are growing like the NBA, it's constant action. And baseball pivoting that direction, this is the best way for baseball to grow. So your thoughts on that, some of the rule changes, 312-332-3776. Remember, join us at Guaranteed Rate Field for opening day this Monday, April 3rd, as the White Sox take on the San Francisco Giants at 310. All fans will receive a 2023 magnetic schedule presented by BMO. Uh, to purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos.
Uh, so if you have thoughts on the pitch clock and if you've enjoyed it, if, if you want to talk about any of these rule changes and what you think is going to be the most impactful, I entered the season kind of thinking the pitch clock is going to revolutionize the sport. I felt like the pitch clock had a chance to be as much of an impactful rule change on baseball as the shot clock was on basketball. I had a feeling that this could have been like the introduction of the three-point line. This was going to fundamentally change the way that we watch the sport. It was going to change the way that we enjoy the sport. I felt like this was going to be one of the most impactful changes, not just in baseball history, but in sports history. And something that's surprising me, after, and I know it's just two games, and we have to remember that it's a small sample size and we have to adjust as things happen. But one thing that's surprising to me is I'm not even sure the pitch clock's going to be the most impactful rule change in baseball this season. What's been stunning to me, and I thought it was a little overblown, like the, the changing of the size of the bases, I wasn't sure how much that would impact steal attempts, uh, banning the shift, I wasn't sure how much that would impact steal attempts. Going back to a more small ball style of baseball rather than the three true outcomes, your strikeout, your home run, and your walk. I was really thinking the pitch clock is going to be the biggest impact. And here we are where in two in two games we've seen steals increase by nearly triple. And I think you're seeing baseball return to sort of its roots. We're seeing more stolen base opportunities. We're seeing more stolen base attempts, certainly. But we're also seeing successful steals. And that's where things really amp up for me. It used to be back in the early 2000s when I grew up watching baseball. If you had a stalwart defensive catcher with an incredible pop time, Uh, get the ball down to second base, you wouldn't run. And that went away because baseball was more about getting a receiver who the pitchers are comfortable with and then really finding a way to have an offensive player play a catcher. And I think now we're seeing that is going to shift back a little bit towards you've got to have a catcher who's going to gun guys down at second. And uh, that's just the steal in general is going to be such an important part of the game because when you think about opening day on 23 attempts, 21 steals were successful. That's an unbelievable rate. And it goes to show, one, teams aren't ready for uh, players to steal. And two, the rules have made stealing bases easier. That's where I think as impactful as the pitch clock can be, and as much as I think it's going to revolutionize the growth of the game, seeing small ball baseball come back is also going to be a huge change and a really positive change for baseball. 312-332-3776, you want to weigh in on some of the rule changes that we've seen so far in the couple days we've had baseball back. Uh, Let's go to Chris in Plainfield wants to talk about the pitch clock at games. Chris, what's up? Um, Hey, guys, I... uh... One of the comment about I think the pitch clock's great, and over the last few days I've been hearing some you know talk you know on on the radio here that people are worried about you know oh sales and sales of uh, vending sales going down et cetera because the game's moving so fast, you know I I the counterpoint I offer is that that the actual vending sales in the seats will go up for exactly what you guys were talking about. You don't want to get up and miss something, so you stay in your seat. They're going to need more vendors in the seats to sell directly to the customer in the stands. I, I think that's a no-brainer. But I think the game's better because of this change. That's all I got. 
Chris, I'm 100% with you. I absolutely think the game has gotten better because of this change. And I, I keep hearing the same thing. People are worried about not being able to get as many refresh, as many beers, frankly, as they have in the past, um, having a trouble getting as many hot dogs as they have in the past. I think also, as fans, maybe you can change the way you've approached going to baseball games. If it's not going to be a four-hour affair from first pitch to the bottom of the ninth inning, maybe you can afford to get to the ballpark a half an hour earlier and spend some more time pregame walking around the concourse, seeing what there is to do down at the rate, getting your uh, beers, your hot dogs, whatever you got to do, taking care of that before first pitch. And then you have the opportunity to sit down and enjoy the game. And because you're not going to be sitting there, and if it's a night game, starts at 7, oftentimes people wouldn't leave until 11 p.m. Now if you're leaving at 9.30, that's a huge win for you. You can take advantage of that and maybe get to the ballpark a little earlier if you can. Do it on on weekends, certainly, getting there a little earlier and walking around, seeing what the rate has to offer, seeing a little bit more of of what you can do on the concourse, taking care of things before first pitch actually goes off. Let's go to Luis at Homewood who wants to talk about the pitch clock. Luis, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, bud? Uh, Actually, I just want to make one correction. That's Luis in Homewood, not Luis. All good, Luis. What's up? (laughs) No, I just wanted to say um, I'm a traditionalist. I believe in the natural um, action of the game, like we saw during the World Baseball uh, Classic. Um, they didn't have a pitch clock, and everything went smoothly. It was good. But I understand they want to move forward in the future. Fine. They're just going to have to make an adjustment because they basically have three different clocks. You say it's 20 seconds when a runner's on base, and it's 15 seconds in a normal situation. Then you say the batter has up until like about an eight or seven second mark, he has to be in the batter's box. That's crazy. Because like in football with the game clock or the play clock, that's 40 seconds. And the shot clock is 24 seconds in the NBA. They don't have these different times. So they're going to have to make a flat 20 second time, which I think will be the way to go. So there's no confusion. And hopefully that'll give a little bit more time where to feel like a natural, a more natural game. Because I do, I do think the game is a little bit too fast, and baseball is not meant to be that way. You want it to be a little bit more organic. So that's so, all I have to say. So, Lewis, would you think if you if you could extend the pitch clock out to something more like forty five seconds, you would entertain that a little no, more? No, 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 no. I'm saying just a flat twenty second clock. But that's even quicker. That's what I'm saying. That's quicker. It's thirty seconds with no runners on base. I thought. I thought it was. Uh, I thought with runners, uh, wait, it's thirty seconds with no run. I thought it was fifteen. No, uh, I don't. I have to look and make sure that I'm telling you the correct thing. I believe yeah, it's thirty I seconds. When I look, it's thirty seconds. I thought it was fifteen. All right, it is fifteen why, seconds, why? no runners on. Thirty seconds with runners on. That's my mistake. The flat twenty seconds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lewis, I agree with you in in theory. I do think that the pitch clock needs adjustments. Um, I think that they need to make sure that they're – there are certain things that I look at and that I've seen as I've watched these games over the weekend. There are aspects of the rules that I think need to be tweaked. 
Uh, I'll get into that a little bit after the break. 312-332-3776 if you want to weigh in on the rule changes that we've seen. And don't forget, you can catch the biggest matchups at the best value for the 2023 season. Enjoy flexible payment plans, a ticket exchange program, and more. And for more information, visit whitesox.com slash ticket plans or call or text 312-674-1000. That's 312-674-1000. I will give you... A couple of adjustments I have for the pitch clock and some of the other rule changes when we come back on White Sox Weekly. It's Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock White Sox Radio Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitch, ESPN 1000 Chicago. White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000, the White Sox Hard Rock Casino Radio Network. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight today. Taking you right up to White Sox baseball. Lucas Giolito on the hill for the Sox taking on the Astros again from Houston. Jose Urquidy will be on the mound for the Astros. And we're talking pitch clock a little bit. 312-332-3776 if you want to weigh in. We've seen real baseball. Opening day, not spring training. This is real. Nine innings, all starters, big moments. The games count. It's real baseball. And we've seen it now with the pitch clock. And people are out there that don't like it. There are people who think that there are problems with it, that it needs adjustments. I do think this is not a perfect system right now. Everybody's kind of adjusting. That includes Major League Baseball. That includes um, the umpires. There was an instance on opening day with the New York Mets there was a strike applied to Jeff McNeil during an at-bat because Pete Alonso took too long uh, to get back to first base. And the umps ended up admitting, Major League Baseball admitted that that wasn't the correct call, that they needed to, that you can't apply a strike based on the time it takes a runner to get back to first. That wasn't the correct call. And so there are adjustments already happening. There are people who are in Major League Baseball who are adjusting in the moments. Some things I noticed that I think need to be changed. I was watching the Red Sox on opening day. I had the MLB TV app running, so I was watching multiple games uh, during the day and enjoying myself watching all the Major League Baseball action. And I noticed a strike applied on Rafael Devers because of the eight-second rule. Now, if you don't know what this is, when the clock gets down to eight seconds, it's the batter's responsibility to be in the box and looking at the pitcher. You have to be addressing the pitcher on the mound with eight seconds left, or an automatic strike can be applied. You have to be ready for the pitch. In this situation, the clock got to eight seconds. The guy on the mound was not on the rubber. He wasn't ready to deliver a pitch, and Devers was in the box, ready to go, but he wasn't looking up and addressing the pitcher's mound, so the strike was automatically applied on Devers. There has to be some sort of leeway. In situations like this, where the pitcher isn't even on the rubber, the pitcher cannot, by rule, throw a pitch to the plate, you can't be applying strikes on hitters for not looking up at the mound when the pitcher isn't ready to go. It's There has to be some level of leeway. The responsibility has to first be on the pitcher to be ready and the hitter to have to address that position rather than vice versa. So I do think there are adjustments that need to be made, and we'll figure those out as we go. But by and large, I think the pitch clock through the first two games of the season has been a massive success. I've been more entertained by baseball. I feel like as a baseball fan, I'm more likely to stick with a game I might not otherwise watch 
from the first inning to the last inning because it's going to take up less of my time and because I don't have to commit so much attention to moments where there's nothing happening. You know, in, in years past, last season, it was on average four minutes between an event in baseball, meaning a ball put in play and the end of an at-bat or a walk or a strikeout. On average, four minutes between action happening in the sport. And that time has been brought down to two and a half minutes. So I think we're seeing a huge increase in the amount of action that's happening. I think it's made the game more entertaining. And like I said, because I don't have to commit four hours on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or whatever it is, I think I'm more likely to watch a game start to finish that I would otherwise not watch. Uh, 312-332-3776, if you want to weigh in, did you enjoy the pitch clock? Uh, what are the rule changes that you think is going to be having the best impact on Major League Baseball as a spectator? I'd love to hear from you. Uh, 312-332-3776. Let's go to Mount Prospect. Bill wants to talk about the pitch clock. What's up, Bill? I- I've got a question. Has Major League Baseball announced whether they're going to suspend the pitch clock when it comes to like milestones, I mean, I'd hate to miss out on opportunities like seeing Cal Ripken circle the field, you know, after he beat, beat Lou Gehrig's record, uh, you know, Pete Rose celebrating at first after he, you know, beat Ty Cobb's record. Will they have the power to suspend the pitch clock for to celebrate milestones like that? I imagine that there will be something done in huge moments like that. I, you're, the, to be pull the curtain back a little, Bill, it says, what if there were big moments? And I was initially expecting bottom of the ninth inning in a postseason game to be the question. To me, the pitch clock stays on. You play the game, you play. But I, I think to what you're asking, record-breaking moments, milestones, um, I, I imagine the game would be paused. We've seen that in the past. In the NBA this year, we saw LeBron break the scoring record. The game was stopped. And that's a game right. that has a clock on it. That has a shot clock. It has a game clock. All of that's in play in the NBA, and they full-on stopped the game. Like, I'm using examples of sports that already have the clock. The NFL, if you remember, when Drew Brees broke the passing yards record, the game stopped. And people came out. They presented him with a little note card that said, congratulations, you're the passing yards leader. Um, I think when Tom Brady did it, it, they didn't stop it so much. But Brady's never been that kind of guy. I, I think in situations that you're talking about, like Cal Ripken taking his time, uh, big moments like that, the pitch clock will still be stopped. Uh, I know that there's 30 seconds between batters for guys to wind down, recover, and get ready. Um, so that's already built in a little bit. But I, I can't imagine that in a moment like Cal Ripken's, they're going to not suspend the pitch clock for just a moment and, and I mean, let that I, I moment can tell you, I was at opening day sitting up in the upper deck and, and having a two-hour, 21-minute game felt pretty good because it was awfully cold up there. But I, I, I still would like to see them not cut down on the strikeouts. I, that's, that still has not really been addressed. I don't know how you can address it, but I know the pitch clock's not going to help that. But as far as the action in the game, that that's the one thing I, I, I wish these these batters could could figure that part out. But, well, Bill, but so let me far, ask not, you. Let, let me ask you this: since you were at the game with the pitch clock, I'm, I've heard a lot of complaints from people who were at baseball games that it's too quick to enjoy being there live as a spectator. That it makes it difficult to get your drinks. It makes it difficult to get snacks. What did you think about that? Uh, you know, I, I I can only speak for the one game at Wrigley, obviously, and, and they did have a line if you if you ordered your phone via or ordered your 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 soft drinks, your beers, your food off the app, 
you could have walked right up and picked up your order, didn't have to stand in line. So I, I, I knew that ahead of time. So I ordered my, my food off the app, walked right up, picked it up. I was back in my seats in a couple minutes. So I did, really didn't feel that that came into play. Um, I didn't, I'll be honest, it was awfully cold, so I didn't order too much, didn't indulge too much in the game because I wanted to just <laughs> sit there and, and stay warm. Um, so that might be, I might have a different opinion in, in June and July, but I, I really didn't feel it was an issue, you know, this one game. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the call. Brought up a good point there with the mobile wagering, too. I've heard a lot, or the mobile wagering. The Jeez, what, what are the landscapes in sports now? The mobile ordering in the stands. If you have the MLB Ballpark app, you can just order your beverages, whatever you got to do. You can order it to your seat now or order it to be ready for pickup. So that's a huge advantage, too, that you're able to take advantage of if you're worried about waiting in long lines and the pitch clock having an impact on that. Uh, bring your family to a White Sox game in the Family Pack presented by Exxon Mobil. Starting at $19, you'll get one ticket, one hot dog, one drink, and one bag of chips to select games for tickets. Visit whitesox.com slash family. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight on White Sox Weekly. Jesse Rogers joins us next on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Radio Network. Greeny 10 to noon weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Come on. Welcome in, 1102 White Sox Weekly. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Radio Network. And before we get to Jesse Rogers, who is patiently hanging on, let's pause 10 seconds for station ID. Live from the old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. All right, Jesse Rogers joining us now on White Sox Weekly. Jess, how you doing? Good, Shay. Good morning. What's happening, pal? Uh, you know, hanging in there, enjoying the baseball the last couple of days. It's yeah. been nice to actually watch real baseball. I guess my question for you, and you were at spring training a lot, so you saw more of this than most of us did. Um, I didn't watch a ton of spring training. I watched a lot of the White Sox getting ready for the season, but I didn't watch games around the league the last two days i've had the split screen going mlb tv i've been watching games nonstop, and i started the show talking about some of the rule changes and the impact that they've had on the game what's been your biggest takeaway with the rule changes so far yeah it, it, it's it's a sort of a mental adjustment has been my biggest takeaway for everybody involved and i'm talking about fans media in uniform personnel players coaches you really have to adjust how you watch a game now. You really can't look down. I talked to Brandon Hyde, the Baltimore Orioles manager in spring training. He missed a couple of violations because he was looking at his scorecard, so he couldn't even like argue with the umpire or talk to his player about it until he saw it after the fact. So like everyone sort of has to adjust um, their viewing habits in a sense, whether it be the manager or a, a media member like myself in the press box. Uh, I used to write a lot of stories during games as I'm watching the game. Well, I can't write as much. i got to watch the game, which is totally fine. I think as fans, uh, whether you're at home or in the stands, the same thing has to happen. So I think the pace of the game picking up is going to be an adjustment period for everyone. From sort of a statistical standpoint, watching a lot of games, especially now that the regular season has started, yes, there's going to be more stolen bases. The success rate after two days is at 86%. That's pretty high. I think the league would like it more like 80% at most. Yeah. And then um, batting average on balls in play has gone up already. Just in two days, it's at 320. The last three years for the season, you know, the entire season, it, it was at 290, steady at 290. 
So if it ends up being 320, more balls, in, it's not necessarily more balls in play, I should say. The ones that are in play are ending up as hits. I think that's good. That's action. But actually, the strikeout rate is the same right now. So to get that bad bit to matter, you actually have to put the ball in play. But right now, strikeouts are about the same. So those are some of my takeaways. You mentioned adjusting the way that we've watched things. Uh, when I'm at home watching baseball in the past, I've not bothered by like getting up and getting a drink or making food. Like I've done things where I know there's going to be a couple minutes between action. I don't need to worry about missing a lot because I can just peek over and see where we're at. Now it's more reminiscent of watching basketball, of watching hockey, of watching football, where when the game is going on, I don't want to get up and do things. I have to wait until between innings, and oftentimes between innings, it's only like three, three and a half minutes. I think a lot of people, I've seen this question posed, and I doubt it's ever going to happen. Could there possibly be something where in the in between the, the, the middle of the fifth inning, maybe there's like a little version of baseball having halftime? <laughs> I don't think so. I, don't, I have seen no or heard no momentum to something like that. I just, I mean, People have already complained that they're changing the game too much to, to, to create a halftime situation, I think would be a bit much. Maybe, maybe there's a moment, maybe, maybe you could do a little bit longer of a half inning midway through, four minutes instead of 215 or something. But Shay, it's, here's the thing again, I think it's not better or worse, it's just different. Now, in my opinion, it's probably better. You know, everyone's got their own opinion. Um, but it, so I don't think, you know, as long as you can adjust, and I think you can. I think you'll be all right. I mean, you can always put pause on a TV at home. I think it's the in-game experience. Oh, I would never. That, yeah, well, I think it's the in-game experience that really has, has maybe bothered some people with the concession lines and bathroom lines. You are going to miss some time. But, again, make some adjustments. Uh, get your couple beers in the you know, before the game starts. Sit down. Maybe you don't get another one. I don't know. But, obviously, you know, things like the bathroom lines you can't do much about. Um, so, I, I think you just have to adjust how you go about your business, whether it be at home or in-game, or in-stadium. In uh, but again, maybe it won't be perfect. Maybe they'll make some adjustments based on, on feedback. I think they're open to that. I talked to the commissioner two days ago, and his line to me was, our, our feet are not set in stone here. We will make adjustments, just not going to be after a week or two. Yeah. I'm optimistic, Jess, about the future of this. I'm optimistic about where baseball goes with these things. Uh, I know that adjustments need to be made, but they're not going to overreact. But I am like I think that we're headed in a very positive direction as a sport you know what else i'm optimistic about surprisingly after just two games the white Sox <laughs> splitting the two games in houston to start the season having an opportunity to go win the opening series if you take these next two and the pitching for houston drops off significantly from what you got in the first two games with from Valdez and christian javier but the white Sox have also gotten a bit of good news lately and this is where i want to start because fans should feel good about this, too. Uh, Liam Hendricks making very good progress in his battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Didn't even have to get put on the 60-day DL or IO. We still don't have a timeline for his return, but what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think they are hopeful he's back in June, which would kind of you know, correspond to not putting him on the 60-day. I mean, they could. And then he still could be back in June. But what if he's back May twentieth? Like you, they've left open some 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 leeway here. Same thing with the, the Phillies did with Bryce Harper, different injury, obviously didn't put him on the sixty day DL or IL. So there's some leeway there. And and the fact that they didn't do that for both players, especially Liam, I think is is absolutely great news. It's not months and months and months. It's weeks and weeks and weeks. And that's a, there's a, that's a big difference. So yeah, I think it's it's good news all around. That 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 non move tells you a lot 
Um, but uh, they've got to cover those innings until he does come back. And I think the, one of the big things over the first two games is just seeing what Ronaldo Lopez did the first game, saving it, though he gave up the home run. His stuff looked dynamic. Uh, if they can sort of harness that, that could be sort of the X factor in that bullpen without Liam Hendricks. So, yeah, some, some good news all around when you talk about that pen. Now, yesterday didn't work out as well. Uh, Graveman back-to-back had some yeah. struggles. But, you know, this is where your starting staff and your offense has to sometimes pick up your bullpen, especially early on. Sure, Grafal doesn't want to go back-to-back with many relievers. I would imagine Graveman's down today, maybe even tomorrow. Uh, but, you know, three runs on some nights is okay, but you're going to have to score more to save your bullpen a little bit. No problem with the starting staff, though. Great job by Cease. Great job by Lynn. Gave up the two-run homer. But uh, this is this was supposed to be the driving force of this team last year, Shay, and it really wasn't. And if you don't have starting pitching, it's really hard to sort of uh, put that puzzle together and, and win a division. Uh, so good start for those two guys, especially Lynn coming off the um, uh, the WBC. You want him, you want him locked in, and he certainly was. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight on White Sox Weekly, talking with Jesse Rogers. Jesse, I wanted to ask you about the uh, lack of scoring more. Like, three runs is good, but you want to score more. I'll put a pin in that for a moment because you brought up the starting pitching and how that was supposed to be last year's engine, and it wasn't. A big part of why it wasn't was Lucas Giolito did not have a good year. He's going to be on the mound today. What can you tell me about what he needs to do to look better this season to bounce back and be the guy he was 2019, 2020, 2021? Yeah, I don't know if this is Giolito 2.0 or 3.0 because he's kind of gone through the 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 uh, he's gone through the roller coaster of uh, of emotions and seasons here with the White Sox. Bad, then really good, and then bad last year. It's well documented. He put on a lot of weight last year. That didn't work out, so he lost it. And he feels like, okay, now I can be back to my 21 kind of uh, form. Um, Conviction of his pitches, um, uh, uh, not letting things snowball him within a game. That happened last year for whatever reason. I think it's it's as much mental as as it is physical. I think feeling better in at, at his sort of normal weight will help him mentally on the mound as well. Um, so I think it's a combination of things, but a uh, conviction to his best pitches. He, he didn't have it last year, and especially when things started to go south, he really let them continue. Like the great pitchers give up three in the first and then still go six or seven innings on their bad on their bad days. Giolito wasn't able to do that. So I think it's a combination of things, and it's just sort of your classic get back to who he is at the right weight and right mentality. Can? And I think he can. Yes, it's his free agent year. Oh, I absolutely think he can. Doesn't mean he's a Cy Young candidate, but he's absolutely a solid middle of the rotation guy, if not better than that. Um, you know, maybe he's not the one that he was kind of on the arc to, to be, you know, a couple years but ago. They but they don't need him to be that anymore because no. Cease has so cemently become that. I yeah, think exactly. you're okay if Giolito's like a, a low end two or high end three. Absolutely. But he was more like a five last yeah. year. He's one of the worst pitchers you know, um, that consistently took the ball without an injury. So, yeah, it's all those things combined. And um, I I liked what what he did in spring training. I think, you know, we'll see probably a different version of him right off the bat here. Uh, Speaking about the runners in scoring position, only getting the three runs, needing a little bit more offense if you're going to win games, especially against teams like the Houston Astros. Uh, So far, we've seen the White Sox get on base. They haven't done it. Via the walk, they've been hitting really well. They've had 19 or 21 plate appearances with runners in scoring position, 19 at bats because they had two hit by pitch, but only four hits with runners in scoring position. Two of those, 
This is where I talk about this being up and down a little bit so far in these first two games. The down, you'd like to be better than four of 19 with runners in scoring position. The up, Eloy Jimenez is two for five with two extra base hits. Yeah. Look, don't worry about the runners in scoring position. That That is a number you look at over a long period of time, a huge sample size. And even then, it, it's a little bit, you know, year to year. There's teams that are great, then the next year they're bad at it. If they're getting on base, that, that used to be the, you know, before the analytic boom, on-base percentage really was the thing that um, in, in, uh, teams would look at. Like, internally, if you looked at it historically, on-base percentage would equal run score. Like, the top on-base teams would be the top run-scoring teams. And that wasn't even the case for the top home run hitting teams. Now, a home run is a run scored, but you could lead the league in homers and not necessarily be in the top five and run scored. I guarantee you, almost 95% of the time, if you're top five and on-base, You'll be top five in scoring. Look at the numbers historically, Shay. So getting on is what matters. And yeah. remember, they're facing the world champs, one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, and they they held their own. They were okay. Uh, the fact and, that Moncada's off to a good start, and Eloy's looking good, hitting the ball hard, even in outs, Shay. All good news. I'm not too worried about that one stat. As long as they're healthy and getting on base, the runs will come. I think offensively, Eloy's been the biggest bright side. I know people got on Mankata for trying to stretch that double and going to third base and getting tagged out. Personally, for a team that never hustled last year, I was just happy to see guys be aggressive. And healthy after the slide. Yeah, that too. He didn't come up lame. Yeah, I heard Peggy say this as well. I agree. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, it was one nothing. You you don't want to make your first out at third. I get all that, right? Um, but uh, and here's the other thing: you you really need to be sure if you're going for three. Like, yeah, you know no, what I, I mean? Agree. Like, how how many guys get thrown out at third on a potential triple? It doesn't happen very often because they're pretty sure. When you, so okay, we could be a little critical, but I'm with you. Here's Mankata, who always you know tends to give off the vibe of being lazy. He went for it in a close game. He got thrown out. It was close enough. The fact that he hit the ball hard is is the is the takeaway for right. me because the guy did not hit last year. So yeah, it's to be honest, one and one, mostly good things about the White Sox watching him through the first two days. I, I you know you're you're playing the World Champs. If you split the four games in Houston, you've knocked off, knocked them off your calendar on the road, and you come away two and two. You'd live with that. You still have a shot to go three and one, though. Yeah, and the other thing I keep trying to remember too is Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, two of the best pitchers in baseball, both kind of capable of being the ace on a lot of staffs. There's a lot of drop off now, so if you're going to continue to get on base and get hits, got opportunities to make hay. Jess, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. You got it, Shay. Be well. Take care. Shane Orling and for Connor McKnight on White Sox Weekly. That was Jesse Rogers. Thanks, Jesse, for joining us. Hey, students, it's easier than ever to get your friends together for a White Sox game. Sign up for student steals alerts and get exclusive access to lower-level ticket offers starting at just $9. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash student or text student to 244-769. If you want to weigh in White Sox Weekly, talk about what you've seen the first two games, 312-332-3776. When we come back, I want to talk about a former White Sox great who's on the opposing lineup today. We'll get to that. This is Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Radio Network. The ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM FM HD and app. Jane Orling in for Connor McKnight, White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock, on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Radio Network. 
Hey, White Sox 10-game ticket plan gives you the ultimate flexibility. Pick games based on your schedule and your budget. Don't miss any of the action in 2023. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash ticket plans or call 312-674-1000. That's 312-674-1000 for those White Sox 10-game ticket plans. White Sox taking on the Astros today. I'm taking you right up to White Sox baseball. It will be... Uh, Lucas Giolito on the hill looking to start his bounce-back campaign after last year. He will take on Jose Urquidy for the Astros. Uh, looking ahead to that, a kind of an opportunity for the White Sox. In the last couple days, going up against two of the best pitchers in the American League in Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, some really talented, young powerhouse guys um, for the Astros. Jose Urquidy... Is not that. If you go back and look at his StatCast page from a year ago, it's something I think has become very valuable when you're looking at these players. If you've used it, uh, you go and get some of the advanced data. Jose Urquidy did not have a great season. I know uh, Giolito was in a similar boat, but the point is this. White Sox have done a really good job of getting on base. They've done a really good job of hitting the baseball. 19 opportunities that they've created for themselves through two games with runners in scoring position. Uh, they got to get some more walks, but that'll come as you face more pitchers over a longer term. I'm not worried about the walk rate right now. Uh, I don't think it's something I want to get bogged down in. What I would say is... The ability to hit the baseball as well as they did against two of the American League's best pitchers, that excites me. And when you see you're taking on Jose Urquidy um, today, I think it's an opportunity to continue to make hay and to take advantage of some of those runners in scoring position situations that were more difficult to take advantage of because of the class of pitcher you were facing. Bit of class relief today, a chance for the White Sox to make hay, and a chance really in this series for the White Sox to steal the opening series of the season against the defending World Series champions, the Houston Astros. That's a great way to start things off. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and if you want to weigh in on this, please, 312-332-3776, open lines for you on White Sox Weekly, Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight. Uh, we've seen now, for the first time, Jose Abreu in the opposing dugout. And how has that made you feel as a White Sox fan? One of the greats in White Sox history at first base, that is not an overstatement, he is an MVP, um, one of the White Sox great players, and the contract situation wasn't right, so Jose Abreu left for the Houston Astros, and as a twist of fate would have it, the White Sox are facing Jose Abreu to open this season in 2023 as he's on the Houston Astros. In the two games you've seen him, eight plate appearances, he's drawn a walk, so seven at-bats, just two hits, uh, no extra base hits. His power's been limited by the White Sox pitching. I think they've looked comfortable. Cease and Lynn facing him. They know the scouting report on Abreu. They've seen him before. Uh, it's been interesting to see, though, kind of the emotions that happen when White Sox pitching is facing a guy who's been their teammate, who has been a, a cornerstone, a foundational piece of the White Sox for years now. Um, to see him in the opposing dugout, I want to hear from you. 312-332-3776. How have you felt watching Jose Abreu in a different uniform in the opposing dugout and rooting against him in at-bats? Or are you? Is there still a part of you that when when Abreu's up, 
you know, you want the Astros to lose, but you want him to do well. That could be a thing. It's not the way I operate. Once you leave my team, I'm no longer rooting for you. I'm rooting for my team. But I'm sure there are people who feel that way. Uh, Open lines for you, 312-332-3776. Let's get Mike in. He's in his car. Mike, what do you got? How you doing? Yeah, three things. First of all, just a quick thing on the Abreu thing. No, it doesn't bother me. It was, you know, time to move on. Nellie Fox moved on. Louis Aparicio moved on. Frank Thomas moved on. I mean, it, it was the right time, especially with Vaughn. I just don't like the fact that he made a couple of, of negative comments about the team. I didn't think he needed to do that. I thought he was a class act until he came up with this stuff about how they weren't a family and how he wished some of his friends on the team could. You know, you remember when he came out with that? But here's the thing that bothered me last night. But first of all, I love seeing this lineup. We, we, we Hardly ever do we get to see this lineup together. Maybe the weakest spot in the lineup is, is Oscar Colas, and he could be really good. There's not one easy out in that. It, 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 it's just a pleasure. I hope they stay healthy. But what bothered me last night is in a game when you really you make moves that give you less of a far less of a chance to win. And follow the scenario: they're they're up three to two. Jake Diekman, since the Sox acquired him last year from Boston, has been awful. He, I mean, he can't get anybody out to tell you the truth. Okay, I'm surprised he's even on the team, and he won't be once Garrett, Garrett Crochet comes back. But he brings him in against a guy who's owned them. They show it five for nine or something in his career. Jordan Alvarez, one of the best hitters in baseball. I'm watching the game with my with my significant other, and I said, "This game's over, three to two. And there was no question. Why don't they know that? Why did they have to? The guy also hit three twenty two against lefties last year. Why would you make a move like that? Did you, did you did you did that hit you that way at all? That that Diekman was facing Alvarez in that in that spot, or is it just me? You know, I don't want to. You're going to have to get Jake Diekman opportunities. He's a guy who's had success in his career in Major League Baseball. He's struggled a little bit recently, but you have to be able to get opportunities for him. Uh, appreciate the call, Mike, and and get him matchups. And I don't want to marry myself to being upset with losing the second game of the season because Jordan Alvarez beat you. One of the best hitters in baseball beat you. That happens. Like you, it's game two of 162. I'm not dying over losing that. I think you, it's important to get reps for the guys in your pen. I think it's important to remember that Cease went six and I think six and two thirds off the top of my head. It's not like the pen was super rested. You didn't have everybody available. So I don't want to get too upset on Pedro Grafol for a move last night that ended up costing them a game. It's game two of 162. If you're going to win, you're going to have to win your division, and the way you're going to do that is by beating the teams in the American League Central. I'm not going to get super worked up and angry about getting beat by Jordan Alvarez. A lot of teams are going to get beat by Jordan Alvarez, and better pitchers than Jake Diekman are going to get beat by him too. He is one of the best hitters in baseball. It is what it is. Um, more of your calls, 312-332-3776. When we come back, got a guy in Broadview wants to talk Abreu. We will get to that when we come back. I also want to talk a little bit about Dylan Cease, who was excellent in his first start of the season. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight, White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now at the Nards, save big money in your next project with the 11% off everything. Update your home with high quality and unique sliding barn doors from Colonial Elegance. Give your home an updated look with doors for any room in the house. Get a ready to finish interior pine barn door for only $99.99 after 11% rebate. Good through April 2nd. Savings are a mail-in rebate. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at the
What's up? It's Tyler Aki. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Tyler to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. Here's what I like for this season. I'm going to go with the Mariners to win the World Series at 20-1, to and I also like Vlad Guerrero Jr. to lead the league in home runs at 11-1. to Don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Tyler to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. You must be 21 and older and present in Illinois. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash Sportsbook. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. At American Sale, you'll find the largest selection of pools, patio sets, hot tubs, and grills. Everything you need for your backyard fun. And right now, during our Save Some Green sale, you can save up to 50% and get 0% financing for 60 months. Plus, free delivery and our lowest price guarantee. We can even install. See store for details. The Save Some Green sale is going on now at American Sale. Come see us or visit us online. American Sale. Bring the fun home. Chicago's home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. It's White Sox Weekly. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight, taking you up to White Sox baseball today. First pitch, 105 from Houston, 110, excuse me, from Houston. It'll be uh, Lucas Giolito on the mound taking on Jose Urquidy for the Astros. And Lucas Giolito did not have the best season last year. He'll look to get his bounce-back campaign started today, uh, third game of the season. White Sox split the first two, have a chance, if they can take today and tomorrow, to win that opening series before they come home to take on the San Francisco Giants, the home opener on Monday, and head to the ballpark April 29th as the White Sox take on the Tampa Bay Rays at 6.10 p.m., the first 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox hockey jersey presented by Guaranteed Rate. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. Talking about Jose Abreu, obviously one of the all-time great White Sox at first base, an MVP winner. Um, and now in the opposing lineup today, we've seen him a little bit in this series. He's had... You know, I think eight at-bats or eight plate appearances, seven at-bats. He's gotten the two hits. But the White Sox have done a good job limiting his power, uh, limiting his ability to damage you with extra base hits, kind of holding him to singles and just those uh, two hits that he's gotten. And I want to hear from you, 312-332-3776. One of the all-time fan favorites, one of the all-time great White Sox at first base and Jose Abreu, now in an opposing dugout, and you're seeing him... You didn't even have to wait to see him. His first games since leaving the White Sox are against the White Sox in opening week for the Houston Astros. Uh, What are your feelings? Seeing Jose Abreu in the opposing dugout, seeing him in the opposing lineup, watching him take at-bats against your White Sox pitchers. How do you feel? 312-332-3776. Let's go to Broadview. Brandon wants to weigh in. What's up, Brandon? How are you? Hey, what's up, man? Thanks, thanks for taking my call, man. I appreciate it. Oh, the Jose Abreu thing, I, I really don't mind that, man. Like I said, 
to me, he bounces into way too many double plays over the last couple of years with the White Sox. But but I want to say this, and I have to dress it up because I'm not a, a, a mean person, but I just have to tell the truth with this. The thing with Lance Lynn that disappoints me, and a lot of people are afraid to say it, the guy needs to lose some weight. He's coming into uh, every year, and that gut is bigger and bigger. And, and I say that because it's unacceptable to me if if a lawyer could lose some pounds and if Grandal can slam down, why can't you make a commitment to your baseball team to get your butt in shape? It's ridiculous that this guy is keep pitching five innings and can't go farther than five innings. And to me personally, that's part of the issue. He has to have knee surgery uh, last year. And to me, with the weight that he's carrying, that, that hinders him from um, recovering uh, as fast as he could because this guy is getting bigger and bigger. And we're not even into July and August with the humidity yet. And this guy has only given us five innings. I think he needs to be more committed. And I'm going to say what people don't want to say. Lose some weight. It's ridiculous, dude. Peace. Yeah, um, it's an interesting take there from Brandon and Broadview. I, what I would say is, look, I, I don't see why Lance Lynn needs to change much of what he's doing, to be quite honest with you. He's been a very effective pitcher. I know last season, uh, with the health and the injury concerns, things weren't as good as you'd maybe want them to be. But in the second half of the season, post-All-Star break, 6-2 uh, and two with a 2.18 ERA, uh, opponent's average of 225. He got 62 strikeouts over the last 10 starts of the 2022 season. Uh, 62 innings pitched in those final 10 starts. I don't, I'm not going to tell, I, 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 it's just an odd take to me. I don't know why you'd worry about Lance Lynn's weight. It hasn't been a problem for him throughout his career. He's been consistently one of the better pitchers uh, across baseball, especially when you think of his time with the Rangers, that one year in 2021 with the White Sox. And I know last year we saw some of the issues uh, come up with health and injury concerns. But again, the second half of the season, the second half of the season, Lynn was fantastic. Um, Shane Orling on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox radio network. When we come back, we will talk to the ace of the White Sox pitching staff, Dylan Cease. He will join us right here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, Looking forward to that. Shane Orling filling in for Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox network. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Carmen Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Jane Orling in for Connor McKnight, White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Radio Network. And wanted to uh, get an opportunity here to tell you about baseball and brews. Join us for Miller Lite Baseball and Brews starting at only $19. This offer includes one ticket and two beers to new and expanded seating locations across the ballpark. Must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brews. Very excited about this. Dylan Cease joining us on White Sox Weekly. Uh, Dylan, 
incredible outing in that first first game, the opening day, getting the 10 strikeouts. I mean, you, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani, some of the brightest young pitchers in baseball. How does it feel when you're included in that list of names as the guys who were able to strike out double-digit batters on opening day? Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, it's uh, it's definitely special. Um, I mean, that's about as about as good as I could have you know, drawn it up. So um, it was just really, really satisfying, especially coming out with the win. I mean, that's the biggest thing, but um, to, to execute really well and then, you know, put us in a position to to have a good chance at, at winning and success was really special. So I, I have to tell you, when I was watching the game, I thought you looked about as comfortable as anybody I've seen with the pitch clock. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it looked to me like having the pitch com on your glove helped a lot with that. But just tell me what it's been like for you adjusting to having the pitch clock and that comfort level it looks like you have with it. Yeah, I've had really, even from the beginning, I've had no issues with it. Um, I think, if anything, I actually probably have a little more time to slow down. I've, I've kind of just erred on the side of going you know, almost as quick as possible. But, uh, you know, I've had no issues with it. Um, uh, and I think I think it even might be a, a slight advantage to pitchers just because just it gives us a whole other, I guess, area to control. Um, so it's – it's I, I like it. I mean, I think games have been flowing. Um, and then being able to call our pitches, you know, with, with the device is really making things just crisp. And, you know, it, it just kind of feels like you're in attack mode. Well, it looked like you were in attack mode, and that was – I kept talking about what stood out to me about your start uh, yesterday when we were on the air on our regular programming on ESPN 1000 was you got the ball. It looked like every pitch you dialed something up in the pitch climb on, on your glove, and then you were just ready to go in your motion delivering the baseball to the plate. How much of the game did you spend calling it yourself? Because at home watching on TV, it looked like you called basically the entire game yourself. Yeah, I did. I, I I pretty much called every pitch. Does that provide even a bigger level of advantage than just being able to work so fast with the pitch clock? Yeah, I think it, it adds a layer of, you know, maybe a little extra conviction. Um, and uh, truthfully, that was the first time I've ever done it. I, I didn't even really do it in spring at all. Um, but it kind of just it kind of just worked out that way. And, um, you know, it's it's. I I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it definitely. Uh, I, I definitely plan on continuing to do it as as long as we have success. Yeah, it was something I noticed too. Uh, Garrett Cole did it, and Shohei Otani did it. And obviously, I, I already mentioned you three all struck out double digit batters on opening day. So to me, it felt like the ability to call your own pitches, and not to say that it, you don't have chemistry with the catcher, but it just adds to. One, guys on base can't steal signs if they're coming directly from you. And two, you mentioned just having the conviction in what you're doing. Is there an extra layer of confidence because you don't have to shake anybody off? You just go and do your job. Yeah, I think so. And it just seems like seems like everything kind of goes a little smoother. Um, and, I, and I think another benefit of it as well is the, the defense really stays locked in just because it's such – it's such constant action. And I mean, I think even for most of my pitches, I mean, I was going at, you know, when there was 10 seconds left. So um, it really just, it just really keeps everything crisp and uh, keeps everyone on their toes. White Sox ace Dylan Cease joining us on White Sox Weekly. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight. Uh, Dylan, I want to ask about 
You didn't have to wait long to see Jose Abreu in an opposing lineup. I want. What was it like pitching to your former teammate? What were the emotions like there? Yeah, I mean, um, it wasn't necessarily an emotional experience. You know, anytime we're facing another team, that's that's a competition, and that's who we're striving to beat. But um, you know, I I got to see him after, and and uh, really, it was just great to see him. Um, he was obviously a huge part of this franchise for basically the last decade. And, um, I mean, really, he was just a pleasure to play with. He's like one of the grittiest, you know, hard-nosed players out there. He'll play through anything. So um, I have just a ton of respect for him. So it was nice to see him after the game as, as a friend and former teammate. But uh, during the game, it was uh, more just, you know, just business. Do you have, like, an edge on the scouting report with Abreu, having seen him play for so long throughout your career knowing kind of what he likes what he doesn't like what gets him off balance or is it the same approach as any other hitter um yeah i mean obviously we have a scouting report with it but i think it's um i think seeing him probably has been an advantage but you know with any of these any of these great hitters um you know one of the things that makes them great is their ability to adjust so with with him or like i said any other good hitter you kind of got to be able to just move it around and and uh keep things keep things um you know non non-predictable so um but i've got to see in the last couple of years uh, and uh, obviously he's he's a tremendous hitter i want to ask a little bit off the field what you've been able to do throughout this offseason and some changes that you've made uh, you've taken up painting as a hobby tell me a little about that mm-hmm. yeah i did uh i started it last season uh, in kansas city i went to their art museum and uh i just felt really inspired after seeing some of these some of this artwork and like the history behind it and just thought it was really cool that something painted in the 1400s was you know still around so i went and uh i just got some basic paint supplies and tried it for myself and had way more success with it than i thought i would so kind of just kept me coming back to it so i think i've painted maybe like nine or ten paintings now so uh it's one of my favorite hobbies for sure is that something you plan on continuing to do in season and spending time with it? It feels to me like a way it could help you decompress between starts, uh, stay relaxed, and kind of keep you mentally balanced too. Yeah, I think so. It's it's one of those things where I, it kind of comes and goes in waves where I'll get an itch to do it, and I'll do like two or three in a couple weeks, and then it seems like it'll be a month or two, and I won't I won't have that itch. So really just depends on, on when I'm feeling it, but I'll definitely be painting, I would think, at least a couple paintings this season. Uh, I, I did a cool one in spring training, so that one, it was the biggest one I've done, so I think I'm still uh, mentally recovering from it because I don't really know what I'm doing, so everything is like a um, an experiment, and, you know, i got to sit That's and, art, like, though, right? You're supposed to experiment. Yeah, true, but it, it would, I think it would be nice if I had a little more, like, just something simple as, like, how you paint depth and doing all the shadowing and all that. I have to, like, sit there and, like, play with it until it, until it looks right. So sometimes I feel like something that should take like someone, you know, that knows what they're doing a couple hours ends up taking me 30. But uh, that's one of the satisfying things about it too, is when I finish one up, I'm like, man, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I made this thing look decent. You know, it's, uh, it's really satisfying. Uh, Dylan, last thing, and then we'll let you go. Thank you for joining us at Dylan Cease on White Sox weekly. Uh, Nobody's really hidden. Something that stood out to me about, last season obviously it was disappointing nobody who was there with you last year and is still there this year has hidden from the disappointment that was last season 
What's different about this? How different is the vibe in the clubhouse? Uh, a lot has been talked about. There's a fun factor with this team this year. Do you mm-hmm. notice that? What's What's the biggest change you notice in the locker room from last season? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think you you can't really hide from the disappointment. You know, we were we were picked as as one of the teams that was supposed to go deep, and and we didn't perform. So, I think um, I think there's a lot more focus this year. Um, I think anytime you get humbled that, you know, that tends to happen. Um, so a little bit more back to the basics, more focus. And I think we know that, that we can't just, um, show up like we really, you know, we really got to prepare and, and do our work. So, um, I think, I think we're in a good spot from that, from that point, you know, I think we're as confident as we've ever, we've ever been. Um, so far we've played pretty clean baseball. And I think, um, I think just as we continue to play cleanly and get more confidence, you're just going to see us, uh, you know, continue to take off. Dylan, thanks for joining us. Dylan Cease on the White Sox Network. Uh, Good luck with the rest of the season, man. We're all looking forward to watching it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dylan. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight on White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Radio Network. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max weekdays at 5 a.m. ESPN Chicago. White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight today. And taking you right up to White Sox baseball from Houston. Lucas Giolito on the mound for the White Sox. would be Jose Urquidy for the Astros uh, today. Giolito, an opportunity after a rough year last year, 4-9 ERA, uh, has a chance to bounce back and all of us, I think, excited to see, hoping that against this Astros lineup, uh, Giolito can show us a little bit of the 2019, 2020, 2021 version of him. More on that in a little bit. Just had an opportunity to talk to White Sox ace Dylan Cease, who was outstanding in his first start uh, this season, striking out 10 Astros hitters, allowing just the one run. Uh, really a, a fantastic start to pick up on. What was last year a Cy Young runner-up campaign? When I look around uh, the preseason lists that you know people love to put out, their top fifty, their top hundred, all of these things, and something I noticed was in a lot of these lists, I wasn't seeing Dylan C super high. There were a couple. There was one a top fifty. He wasn't even on it. I was stunned listening to some of these top 50 lists, going through some of these preseason lists, and seeing that Dylan Cease on some of these wasn't even included. That was insane to me. A guy who just had a Cy Young runner-up season that did not feel like a fluke. Uh, We've seen Cy Young fluke seasons in the past. Guys like Rick Porcello, who just had a nice year. Maybe they had a lot of run support, won a lot of games and got the award last year Dylan Cease felt like a pitcher coming into his own he felt like a guy who got comfortable with pitches outside of just his fastball he felt like a guy who started to learn how to pitch instead of just overpowering and it it felt like we were seeing one of baseball's brightest young stars break out and really enter that role and enter that conversation among the best pitchers in baseball. And I think on opening day, we saw that even more because last year we talked a lot about 
Uh, Dylan Cease needing to bring down the walks. He missed uh, the strike zone a lot. Often the pitch count was way up early in starts. Something stood out to me watching. Not only was Cease calling his own game, and he told us about 10 minutes ago when we had a chance to talk to him, he was effectively calling every pitch. He was up there, pitch clock, uh, or the pitch com, excuse me, sending the signals down to his catcher. Here's what I'm going to throw. And then he was into his motion and taking care of business. He never left attack mode. And I think we saw the next evolution of Dylan Cease. Last year, uh, he led all of major leagues in free passes. 78 walks allowed uh, last season, despite being the Cy Young runner-up with a 2-2 ERA. Last uh, two nights ago, excuse me, in his first start on opening day this season against a Houston Astros lineup that might be the best in all of baseball, gets six and a third innings, only gives up two hits. I told you the one run, no walks. Now, he did have the hit by pitch against Jordan Alvarez in his second to last at bat, but he got those 10 strikeouts and he didn't issue a single walk. That's the step forward for Cease because if he's not issuing walks, if he's able to stay in command of all three of the pitches that he relies on, the change up the slider and the fastball, and he's going to work efficiently and keep the pitch count low, and that's what he was doing where the pitch count wasn't just good. It was excellent. When you see a guy in the sixth inning working in the low 60s in his pitch count, that's what you need Dylan Cease to be. I mean, a season ago, you would get – and, again, he was fantastic, runner-up for Cy Young, but he would get into the fifth, sixth inning, and we'd be looking at 80, 90, sometimes 100 pitches because he was struggling to be efficient. He was struggling to put batters away. He was giving up all the free passes, and we saw a different version of him. And I think the pitch clock and the ability to call his own pitches with the new pitch com that – the pitcher themselves have access to has allowed him to stay focused. It's allowed him to work fast. Uh, He said, sometimes it feels like I'm going as fast as I possibly can, but I think that's helping him and it's allowing an advantage. You're not letting the hitter recover. You're not letting the hitter adjust. You're just focusing on delivering the next pitch and you have all the confidence in the world because you're calling it yourself. And what I saw on uh, opening day, on opening night, when when Cease went out and dominated one of baseball's best lineups, was not just a guy who is going to complement a season where he broke out and was the runner-up in Cy Young. What I saw was a guy who might finish this season as the best pitcher in baseball. What I saw was a guy who dominated with his three-pitch mix, stayed in control, kept every hitter off balance, was not missing at all. I mean... You talk about taking up painting in the offseason. Boy, did he take up painting on the in-season, too, because he was hitting every corner. He was painting every corner, not missing, fastballs electric. This is a guy in Dylan Cease who I think you don't just talk about, could he be the best pitcher in this rotation? Could he be the best pitcher in the American League Central? Could he be the best pitcher in the American League? Could he be the best pitcher in baseball? I think he has the stuff. I think he has the confidence now. I think he has the ability to do that. And he looked like a guy who is approaching that level. When you talk about him, Shohei Otani, Garrett Cole being the guys, Logan Webb, that struck out double-digit pitchers on opening day, and Dylan Cease is in that company, you are talking about a guy who is one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball and has an opportunity this season 
I think, to assert himself as the best full-time pitcher in baseball. Got to take 10 seconds and pause for station ID. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. Shane Orlingham for Connor McKnight, White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Open lines for you, 312-332-3776. Everything's in the mix. If you want to talk about the pitch clock and what you've thought about it, if it's increased the enjoyment that you have watching these games, watching your team, if you're likelier to live and die with 162 White Sox games this season because they're going to be a little bit quicker because the pitch clock's going to get you in and out. You're not going to have to commit four hours. Maybe you can get home quicker. Maybe you have an excuse now to take your kids to more games or you don't, you don't have to put them to bed. You can keep them up at night watching the game start to finish because it's going to be a quicker affair and you're not going to have to keep your kids up too late on a school night to watch their White Sox. They're going to be able to get in and out of this and go to bed at a relatively normal time. I think the pitch clock's huge for the game. I understand it's more on the TV side than it is on the spectator side. I think there are detractions if you're at the game where, look, if you got to get up and go to the bathroom, you don't have the luxury of pressing pause if that's something you like to do at home. Uh, you don't have the luxury of just getting up and getting a beer out of the fridge. you got to wait in lines. And you might miss some of the game now. It might be more reminiscent of going to an NBA game and missing a quarter of action, trying to get something from a concession stand. It might be more reminiscent of an NFL game when you get up at halftime and you get back to your seat and you're halfway through the third quarter because you wanted to get some popcorn. You might see more of that now in baseball when you go to the game. But the fact of the matter is growth happens at home. Growth happens when you're watching on TV, when you're able to keep your kids up, when you're able to let them enjoy start to finish White Sox baseball because it's going to be a quicker event. You're going to get in. You're going to get out. You don't have to adjust the bedtime. School nights can stay pretty normal. I think growth happens at home, and the TV side is really where we need to have the emphasis when we're talking about improving baseball. I think the pitch clock has done that. If you want to talk about Dylan Cease, a guy who, look, I just told you, I think he could be, when when we all is said and done this season, if he continues to pitch the way he did in Houston on opening night, where He's not throwing a ton of balls. He's keeping the pitch count low. He's staying in control, keeping hitters off balance. That three-pitch mix that he likes, dominating with just those three pitches. If he's going to continue to do that and keep the walk rate low, no walks on opening night, we're talking about a guy who's not just going to be runner-up for Cy Young. We're talking about a guy who might be ending up as the best pitcher in baseball when all is said and done. We're talking about a guy who you might see at his age 27 season where guys really start to learn to pitch. They start to get comfortable, confident in their stuff. They're not just relying on the overpowering fastball anymore. They've learned to do the rest of it. They've learned to paint the corners. They're getting more in control and more in command of their fastball. The velocity is still there, still in the athletic prime. This is where you saw guys like Justin Verlander break out. This is where you saw guys at this age like Garrett Cole break out and become the dominant top flight number one pitcher in the league. I think in Dylan Cease opening night showed me something where, 
look, you can go six and a third innings and only give up two hits, only give up one run, and not walk anybody while striking out 10. Yeah, we're going to start talking about you as maybe the best pitcher in baseball. Like, if you're going to just continue to do that, and it's not like he did this against uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, respectfully. He did this against the Houston Astros. He did this against the defending world champions in one of baseball's best lineups. And I know that they're not at full health right now, but it's not like they're running, you know, uh, uh, guys who can't hit off the bench. They're not running double-A guys who are like journeymen off the bench. They're still one of the elite lineups in baseball. And Cease was out there making them look lost and confused and uncomfortable. If he can continue to do that, we are talking about somebody who could be one of the best pitchers in the league. Uh, the White Sox have released the starting lineup for today. I want to go through it quickly for you. Uh, start Hitting leadoff, no surprise here at shortstop, is Tim Anderson in center field. Uh, Luis Robert Jr., uh, hitting second, hitting third in left field, be Andrew Benintendi. Uh, hitting third, the designated hitter, Aloy Jimenez, who I want to stop for a moment. Aloy has been such a bright spot because not only the World Baseball Classic, where he got some high-intensity at-bats and he delivered, but now you're seeing a guy who has had multiple opportunities, five of them to be exact, with runners in scoring position because the White Sox are doing the important thing and the top of the order are getting on base, whether it's Tim, whether it's Luis Robert, whether it's Andrew Benintendi. Guys are setting up for Eloy and Yoan Mankata to deliver from the four and five positions in the lineup. And Eloy last night with the two doubles, the RBIs, and then Mankata following up behind him. And that's how it shapes up today. Eloy, designated hitter, hitting fourth, and Mankata at third base, hitting fifth. The two of them hitting the ball hard. Fine, and, and I get people get on Mankata for trying to stretch a double and getting thrown out at third. But these two hitting the ball hard, being healthy, is such a bright spot for the White Sox early on. I think it's a huge reason for optimism when you're seeing these guys deliver in spots where they need to with runners in scoring position. That's hugely important. And if they can stay healthy and they can continue to do that for the remainder of this season, we're talking about a White Sox team that they may live up to the potential that we all thought that they had a year ago. They may actually be able to compete for a division title in the American League Central. So I'll go through the rest of the lineup. I mentioned a designated hitter and hitting fourth is Eloy. Uh, hit at third base and hitting fifth, Yoan Mankata. First base, sixth, Andrew Vaughn. On right field and hitting seventh is Oscar Colas. Second base and eighth is going to be Elvis Andrews. And hitting ninth and catching, Sebi Zavala. Grandal will have the day off. Uh, starting pitcher for today is Lucas Giolito looking to bounce back from last year's 4-9 ERA campaign. Uh, he put on weight last year. He said he got to camp a little heavier. He's made an adjustment now. He's taken some of that weight off. Um, so we're all kind of rooting for Lucas, and maybe he can have an opportunity to have that bounce-back season and get back to what he was able to do 2019, uh, 2020, and 2021 when he was showing up as one of the better pitchers in all of baseball. I mean, we saw a guy who... We all kind of hoped that he would have the ceiling as an ace. We felt like he might have the ability to be at the top and at the front end of the White Sox rotation. And maybe that's not the case. Maybe Giolito's more of a middle-of-the-rotation arm. And that's okay. Like, if Giolito can get back to being a bottom-end two or a top-end three instead of the fringe five he was a year ago, and we can see him being 
a consistent middle of rotation arm. The front of your rotation is so good with Dylan Cease and Lance Lynn. You really just need Giolito to be able to be a two or three starter. I think that takes some pressure off of him. I don't think you're asking him to live up to and improve upon and continue to build upon uh, when we thought he could potentially be an ace. You know, he had the no-hitter. He put together a season where we all thought he was building up to lead this rotation, and things kind of took a step back. I think just taking a little bit of pressure off now that Cease is obviously the ace and you have a guy like Lance Lynn in front of you where you don't need to be a 1.5 ERA guy. You don't need to be a 2 ERA guy. You can go out and be a 3.5 ERA guy and just take some pressure off the bullpen, eat up some innings, be consistent. Don't be bad, but just you don't have to be top flight. And I think taking pressure off of Giolito, taking some of the weight off, making the adjustments personally that he feels like he needs to make can let him get back to being comfortable and helping him get back to being one of those solid middle of the rotation arms that the White Sox uh, can get excited about. Uh, When we come back, I want to recap the two games that we saw the White Sox play so far on opening night and also yesterday, the loss to the Astros, splitting the first two. And we'll talk a little bit of preview for today with Giolito and Jose Arquiti on the mound. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's White Sox Weekly. White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN Chicago. Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight, White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Radio Network. Talking White Sox with you, 312-332-3776. If I can get the numbers out. And I would like to tell you also, Sox fans and school teachers, join us May 4th for Weather Day, presented by the NBC5 Storm Team. Before the White Sox take on the Twins at 1.10 p.m., learn how weather impacts baseball and what it means to be a meteorologist with the NBC5 Storm Team. Enjoy demonstrations, trivia, southpaw, and more. If you want to purchase tickets to Weather Day, visit whitesox.com slash weather. That's whitesox.com slash weather. Taking you right into pregame ahead of White Sox baseball. Game three of 162, first pitch at 110. It's Lucas Giolito on the hill looking to bounce back from last year's campaign. He will take on Jose Urquidy of the Astros. Len and DJ will have the call. Excited to bring White Sox baseball to you right here on ESPN 1000, the Hard Rock Casino White Sox radio network. Uh, getting into a little bit of last night and what we saw from the White Sox. Much of the game, they had that 3 nothing lead. It was... An impressive start from Lance Lynn, a guy who we saw struggle at times uh, last season, especially early on, a little bit of injury, and really in the second half and in his final 10 starts, dominant. Back to what we expected from Lance Lynn when he joined the White Sox. He's 6-2 and two in his last 10 starts last season, 6-2 and two with a 2.18 ERA. Uh, that's 15 earned runs over 62 innings pitched. Uh, 225 opponents batting average and 62 strikeouts. That's over the last 10 starts of the 2022 season. So post-All-Star break, 
Lance Lynn got back to being that ace caliber pitcher. That was good to see. And last night, we saw a lot of that. Uh, he was posted a no decision. He did allow the home run, allowed two runs on three hits. He did walk a few guys, four walks. You'd like to see that number come down. But the six strikeouts, that was impressive. And this is a guy who in his history... Uh, I believe is winless against the Houston Astros. And I think the White Sox had lost seven straight, or he had lost seven straight against Houston when he was on the mound. So to go out last night against a team that has really bothered him, Lynn, a fastball pitcher, leans heavily on his fastball, and the Astros are a team that will pound you. If you rely heavily on that fastball, they will take advantage of it. And last night we saw getting six strikeouts uh, which was over his line of five and a half, by the way, if that means anything to you. That was impressive. That was good to see. I think and when we talk about what we saw from the White Sox the first two games, yeah, they lost last night, and maybe that bothers you a little bit. But overall, I think through two, splitting the first two efforts against the Astros, you see a lot of things that – you can take some positivity out of it. I have a lot of optimism based on what I've seen out of the White Sox so far. Dylan Cease, I told you already, he looks like one of the best pitchers in baseball. He looks like a guy who could ascend to that elite top flight pitcher position as maybe the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, Eloy and Yoan Mankata both delivering clutch hits, whether it was last night um, with the doubles from Eloy or the double after uh, Eloy's double to score a run. Mankata drove him in with a hard hit. I've seen a lot of things that I think are, are positives. And I know you want to see better. You want to be able to close out a game uh, against the Astros. You want to be able to win the first two of the series. But the reality is it's one game out of 162 games. And game two out of 162 doesn't decide your fate this season. Uh, Jake Diekman went out and he struggled. And, and, you know, Kendall Graveman in a back-to-back effort didn't have his best stuff. So I don't get really upset with losing last night's game. It doesn't bother me too much. I think now you have class relief against Houston with their starting pitching. We saw their two best from Rivaldez and Christian Javier so far. You're getting Jose Urquidy today, a guy who, if you go and look at his StatCast page, Savant, something MLB's introduced, where fans get access to some of the deeper data that teams actually use to scout. Urquidy did not have a great year last year. By a lot of these metrics, he wasn't able to put guys away. He struggled, gave up a lot of hard contact. If there's something we've seen from the White Sox so far this season... With a healthy lineup that's been refreshing to see these guys all available. Tim, Luis Robert Jr., uh, having Eloy, having Yoan Mankata available, and having those guys hit the ball hard. They're going to have opportunities today against Christian Javier to do that. And we'll see what Giolito can bring if he can get back to what he was 2019, 2020, 2021. That's going to be huge for us. That's going to be huge for us in the White Sox. To see that, and if he can do that, we'll find out today, kind of the first start of his bounce-back effort. 
all excited to see what he's got. But I'm really thrilled about what we've got with this lineup and the ability to hit the ball hard. And they're going to have opportunities to do that today against Jose Arquiti, a guy who gives up hard contact. 312-332-3776 if you want to weigh in. Everything's in the mix. What are you looking for today from the White Sox against the Astros in Game 3, trying to take a lead in this series, have an opportunity to at worst split the four at best. If you win the next two, you win the opening series against the defending World Series champions. That's huge. 312-332-3776. Open lines for you if you want to talk about that. If you want to talk about the pitch clock, did you like it? Did you not like it? If you're a baseball fan, does this make you more interested? If you were on the fringe, does this bring you in? Love to hear from you on that. Some of the other rule changes, if you want to weigh in, open lines for you. 312-332-3776. We'll go to Aurora, Colorado. Uh, Ken, listening on the ESPN Chicago app. Ken, what's up, buddy? Not much, Shay. How you doing today? I'm good, man. What's going on? Not much. You know, I got to say, um, I think that uh, two reasons that Giolito needs to need, need, needs to actually step it up, be more than a low number two, high number three. Um, Lynn is, what, I believe 38 years old. He had some injury problems last year. Um, and I don't know how much you can really count on him for, I'm going to say, what, 32, 33 starts they still get, I think, in the season. And uh, number two, he's on my stinking fantasy team. I need him to be an ace again. <laughs> well, Ken, I got, I'm not going to lie to you. It's <laughs> unlikely to me that he becomes an ace. Uh, I actually... It's funny you mention that because I'm in a dynasty baseball league where I took Giolito a couple of years ago. So you and I feel the same about this. I think it's same here. I think it's yeah. unlikely that he's going to become an ace again, Ken. Um, but, I don't think he will be, but he need. I do think he needs to step up better than he was last year and be a hard number two. Well, of course, and Ken, as a White Sox fan, like set the fantasy baseball stuff aside. I know it's important mm-hmm. to you. It's important to me, but as a White Sox fan, all we can really ask for with Giolito is can you get back to being you know, a top-end three or a bottom-end two? Can you get to being one of those solid, consistent rotation arms? And that's where we need to see Giolito, right? That's the best we can hope for. And if he gets there, then this team's in a really good place because this rotation is built to be a driving force of a playoff team, not of a middle-of-the-pack AL Central team, correct, and I and I, I actually do like their starting lineup um, today against Aquiti, but I, I I think that their I think their hitting is actually going to turn it around this year just just from what we've seen. I know, like you said, it's only been two games, but they they're, they've actually been hitting really well. Am I correct? I mean, they they haven't been fluke hits, uh, you know, little little pop ups that have just been seeing eye singles, they've actually been hitting the ball pretty hard this these first two games. Yeah, Kenny, I, I think it's been great to see. I mean, last night, Yohan Mankata, three for four at the plate. Tim Anderson, two for four. Uh, we saw Tim, who missed some time last season, come out, and it was as Tim Anderson as it gets, slap the ball the other way, right between the first baseman and the second baseman, and get on base. And that's all we need Tim Anderson to do. You don't need him to hit 25 home runs from the leadoff position. You just need Tim to get on base. He can get aggressive now with the rule changes, steal some bases, set things up. And with Yoan Mankata and Eloy Jimenez healthy, and Eloy uh, yesterday 
two RBI doubles. He's hit the ball hard in the first two games for the White Sox. Mancada, like I mentioned, going three for four, including an extra base hit. Um, people want to get on him about the opening night thing, stretching a double and getting thrown out at third. For me, I get it. That is a mental error. It's a bad baseball play. You can't do that. But for a team that last year never hustled, and I get that they were injured and the the story we got was we want to keep guys healthy so we don't want them go getting too aggressive on the base paths. But a team that never hustled a year ago from Ankata to be flying down the baseline trying to get to third and stretch a double, that feels different. For last night, I think it was runners on first and third, and Mankata chopped a ground ball to the left side, and he was flying down the line trying to create something, trying to get to first base and beat out a difficult play for an infielder. That We didn't see a lot of that last year. So I know it's only two games, but we're already seeing those improvements. Let's go to the south side talk to Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much, man. I just wanted to talk about these first two games. I'm content with what I'm happy with what I'm seeing. It's nice to see Moncada continuing to hit after the WBC. Same thing with Eloy. Nice to see Tim Anderson running the bases. Um, I love the. I'd love to see the offense capitalize more on the uh, runners in scoring position, but uh, that's. Uh, but they had the rest of the season to do that. And if you had told me that um, at the start of the season that we'd be one and one with the world champion against the world defending World Series champions and their two aces, I would. I would. It would have been hard for me to buy. So I'm, I'm happy with what I'm seeing, and hopefully they can keep it up one, one game at a time. Yeah, I think, Chris, a lot of us feel the way you do. A lot of us are happy to see what we've seen through a couple games so far this season. Um, and, and like I said, going one and one in the first two when you're facing two of the better pitchers in all of baseball, it's not just the two best pitchers in Houston's rotation. That's a good rotation. It's two of the better pitchers in the league in Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, two younger guys who are really coming up in form and, and entering that top-flight class. Um, to split the series against them and to see where you're hitting the ball hard, 11 hits in each of the two games, you're getting on base a ton, your guys are setting the table, um, four for 19 and run, with runners in scoring position, you'd like to see better than that, but it's also not like super upsetting. I'm not going to get worked up about not hitting the ball with runners on in the first two games of the season because frankly who cares you're going to have a long time this is a 162 game marathon it's a huge sample size sport you're going to have a long time to get into those opportunities and capitalize on them the most important thing is that the opportunities are there and they are this year for the White Sox, where a lot of times last year, they just weren't. The team wasn't hustling. This year, we're seeing that already change. And I know it's just two games, but look, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this team on the south side. We've got White Sox pregame coming up. I will be with you right up into White Sox baseball, first pitch 110. It's going to be Lucas Giolito going up against Jose Urquidy. Len and DJ will have the call from Houston. Game three of 162 coming up. Uh, White Sox pregame after this. This has been a two-hour edition of White Sox Weekly. I'm Shane Orling in for Connor McKnight on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Radio Network.